This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 4th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court has tossed President Biden's ambitious plan to cancel $400 billion in student debt. The president asserted the authority to cancel all that debt under 2003's HEROES Act. Cato's Tommy Berry says the focus of the court on the specific law in question leaves open possibilities that the president might try to go for round two on student debt cancellation. This is a very contentious case. There are a lot of people who would have benefited mightily at the expense of everybody else when it comes to student loans and debt forgiveness, canceling student loan debt. This question was put before the court, but in the two cases that came before it, one was tossed on standing and the other was a 6-3 decision along lines you might expect. Yes, that's right. And I should admit that even I was one of the people in line to get this benefit. So you might think that I have mixed feelings this morning, but I had to, you have to stick with your principles sometimes, even when there's a sweet, sweet $10,000 student loan forgiveness on the other side. So the Supreme Court did find that there was standing, that the state of Missouri had standing to sue on behalf of this corporation created by the state called Mohila that services student loans. And this was one of the biggest controversies. People always thought this was their best shot at finding standing, but it was really uncertain whether the court would, would buy that argument, given that Mohila was created to be financially separate from the state of Missouri. So a, an injury to its finances doesn't necessarily injure Missouri's finances, but the majority held that what's more important is that it was created by Missouri to further Missouri public policy with regard to student loans. And so injuries to that essentially injures the Missouri state government's goals. Thank you for pronouncing Mohila correctly. This was a, an agency of the state of Missouri that in my childhood, I remember my mother dutifully writing checks to when we lived in Southwest Missouri. That, now, the, the issues here that they're actually discussing in these opinions, you know, how much of, how much of it did they get to just the, uh, you know, the abhorrence that people might have for being compelled to pay a student loan that the person who borrowed the money also doesn't want to pay. They did not really discuss the policy implications of that. And in my view, that's actually the better approach because the court is very wary that it not be seen as a policymaking body, that they're sticking to the legal questions at issue here. Was this justified? Now, the dissent by Justice Kagan did accuse the majority of essentially becoming a policy-making body. They, the dissent said this is for the legislative and the executive branch to make policy, and the court can't overrule them. But Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, said, you're right, this is about separation of powers, but this is about the executive branch taking power from the legislative branch. But neither side, and in my view quite correctly, hung their hat on, is this good policy or is this bad policy? Because that shouldn't be what's determinative for a court. Well, that's to their credit then. What was, you know, what changes? What do we look forward to now based upon the interpretation of the court here? Based on its reasoning, it was fairly definitive, not just for this particular student loan forgiveness program, but based on its reasoning, you really can't have any student loan forgiveness program using the HEROES Act, using the statutory hook that the Biden administration chose, which is this 2003 law giving the power to waive or modify provisions of federal student loan law. And the court basically said modify means make a small change, waive means get rid of some procedural requirement, 
Neither of those mean rewrite the statute and write a new one. And so given that you essentially have to write a new statute to have a student loan forgiveness program, you have to say who's eligible, who's not eligible. I don't think there's any room now to use this statute to implement it. But a big unanswered question is, could another statute be used for it instead? And there is a lot of calls for the broader Education Act, the Higher Education Act, or HEA, to be used as a statutory hook. And that's still an open question. Will the Biden administration change course and try that instead? And did the majority essentially leave open that possibility and say say anything about, hey, you could still do it this way? They were completely silent. They didn't mention the Higher Education Act as well. It was fairly laser-focused on this statutory text, this waiver modify language, and the Higher Education Act doesn't have that, that particular phrasing. So it would be a new question and a new open question if the Biden administration tried a different statute. Okay. So in the dissents, what were they hanging their hat on? You, you said that both sides, to their credit, were not talking about policy, but what did they suggest made this acceptable? The dissent by Justice Kagan accused the majority of being sort of too literalistic and dividing up the words and not looking at the overall sentence. So it said, yes, modify one word by itself might mean just make a small change. Wave one word by itself might mean just get rid of some finite concrete requirement. But if you look at wave or modify overall, the dissent interpreted that to be a phrase, a term of art to essentially mean make whatever changes you need to make from small to everything. And so it looked at also the context in which it was written to essentially deal with unexpected emergencies and said it's natural that the bigger the emergency, the bigger the change or the bigger the program. So it said we shouldn't just look at, oh, in the past it's only been used for small modifications because in the past there hasn't been any emergency close to the scale of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Justice Kagan essentially said, the intent and the text here supports an interpretation that it wanted the executive branch to react to unanticipated, unexpected emergencies as it sees best. And to her credit, the HEROES Act was written with 2003, is that right? Yes. So just after, not that long after 9-11, which was another large-scale disruptive event. That's right. And in fact, it was an expansion. There was a 2001 law that applied this just for victims of 9-11 And then in 2003, it was expanded to people in wartime. So the Iraq war was in front of people's minds and people in any natural disaster area. And that's what the Biden administration hung its hat on, that the entire United States has been declared a natural disaster area due to COVID. To what extent does the majority opinion look like to you rescuing Congress from writing a bad law? It's a good question. And in fact, I think everyone, I highly recommend Justice Barrett's concurrence, which is a really thoughtful exploration of what is the major questions doctrine. Is it a substantive rule to save Congress, as you're saying? Is it avoiding, is it forcing Congress to not write broadly, even if it wants to? Or is it about context? Is it just about interpretation? And I agree with her that no, it's just about reading things in context that that Congress, you it, If you understand statutes as agency delegations from the principle of Congress to the agent of the executive branch, you understand instructions have a context and that informs how big, how drastic uh, is this permission. So in the brief that Cato submitted, we had several sort of common sense daily examples. If I say, hey, here's my credit card, buy lunch for me, I don't expect you to order $1,000 worth of catering. 
And Justice Barrett said similarly, if I say, hey, go pick up dessert for me, I don't expect you to buy a $1,000 four-tier wedding cake. So context in daily life says, how big of a permission is this? And we don't want we don't want agencies to essentially be playing tricks on Congress and being so hyper-literalistic that they take power that Congress never would have anticipated. And that context can include not just the words that are used, but where does it appear in the statute? And what is the provision? What what does the provision essentially look like its purposes were? Tommy Berry is editor-in-chief of the Cato Institute's annual Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.